This is episode six. He's fronted the Atlanta pop punk band The Unusual Suspects, evolved into an indie rocker of Charleston's Loner Society, and finally grown into a project that blends punk, emo, Americana, and 80s pop nostalgia, which we'll get into shortly. This is Matt McGrew. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. That was a, a grand introduction. Right. <laughs> I I do my best to try and like, you know, you know, you want to build it up. The bang, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um. So based off of your intro, you've been doing music for quite some time. Yeah. Writing, <laughs> producing. Yeah, a little bit. Cra- um, creating all around, basically. For yeah. how many years would you say? I mean, if you want to go all the way back to when I, I started playing in bands, I was 13. So that that was a long, long time ago. But I would say, um, for all intents and purposes, the the start of kind of releasing music that's still out there that uh, that I'm proud of, um, that was about 2005. So I guess going on 15 years now. Wow. Yeah. So you're like, a, you're like a veteran, you know? I guess so, and I'm not really sure when that happened, but uh, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you talk about, you know, going way back, like digging into the archives. Um, so I normally start all the podcasts with this first question because I like to go back from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So what is your earliest memory of music? <clears throat> earliest memory of music? Um, I mean, I was coming of age when MTV was a thing. Um, and I, I can't really think of a specific video per se, but I, I remember Michael Jackson's Thriller was uh, a big deal to me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did your parents ever play music around your house? Yeah, all the time. Up? All the time. Um, my dad had a, he had a record collection that I was always getting into and they actually, my parents actually framed uh, my two favorite records, which was Thriller and uh, Van Halen's, I think it was 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have those hanging in my music room from when I was a kid. I think the reason that I liked the Van Halen record was because it had a kid on the cover who was roughly my age. Mm-hmm. So I identified with that with that child smoking a cigarette on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> so were you smoking at eight years old? <laughs> no, actually, um, I have was... never smoked. Uh, I don't think I, at that age, I didn't even know what that was, but... Um, as I got older, I was like, oh, that's a, that's a small child smoking a cigarette. Did you ever, um, have the candy cigarettes as a kid? Oh yeah. Did you do, okay. Do you remember yeah, those? <laughs> I do remember those. And yeah, I thought, thought those were so cool. <laughs> that's the closest I ever came to smoking was, See, was candy cigarettes. Good for you. <laughs> but now you look back and you're like, what a terrible decision that was for the manufacturers of that candy. Oh yeah. There's a lot of things that were wrong with that for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Like so many, there are a lot of things in our youth that are probably not okay now, but yeah, yeah. Different, different day and age for sure. Um, so just to jump over though, to get back to music, actually not candy cigarettes. Um, (laughs) how would you define your relationship with music? I would say now, um, it's a lot less, um, pressure, Um, I think, you know, in my twenties, there was this intense drive to, um, to, to make it, to get a record deal, to, to do all those things. And, um, as I've gotten a little bit older and the music industry has basically fallen apart, it's kind of taken the pressure off. And now I feel a little more free to do whatever I want to do, um, rather than, you know, you make decisions for different reasons. And I think sometimes in, in our twenties, we were 
we were maybe not making decisions necessarily that we would make had the pressure of, you know, trying, we got it. We have to make a song that sounds like this or, um, I think that got in the way a little bit and I think less so now just Mm -hmm. because there's just, there's no rules anymore. So do you think that plays in your favor now that there's, there's no more rules or it's allowed you, um, maybe more freedom? I think it's a double-edged sword. I think that, um, the fact that the music industry has fallen apart and there are people who are doing great things basically from their bedroom, um, the accessibility to be able to reach a fan base is like it's never been before. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's the, the other side of that is that it creates a lot of noise. And so I think the, the million dollar question is how do you cut through the noise and find the people who, um, who would dig what you're doing? So you've already said twice that the music industry, or is it the industry that's falling apart, or what, in your opinion, is falling apart? Just the old model. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, there's still a business, but they're just, I mean, to me, when looking at it, there's just not a lot of, a lot of huge rock bands anymore. Um, I think there's, you know, definitely a lot of um, a lot of hip-hop, a lot of pop, and a lot of country that's still um, thriving really well, but as far as rock music, it's just... I mean, again, just in my opinion, there's not that many great rock bands still around anymore. I mean, there's still great bands out there, but there aren't any at the size of, say, like, you know, a Chili Peppers or a Pearl Jam. I don't know who the next bands like that are going to be. So who are you listening to now? Or is there some, like, a band now? I know you just said there's not a lot currently, but, I mean, in your opinion, I mean, what are you listening to that you think could be the next big rock band? Or I don't know. I mean, I feel like some of the bands that, I've, that I'm listening to, the Menzingers, uh, brand new when they were still around, um, are kind of maybe as big as they can get right now. And I don't know why that is. Um, and I could just be – I could be completely off base. Um, but it seems like bands like that reach a certain certain level, and there's just no – they're playing large theaters, large clubs, but there's no one who breaks through to the level of like a U2, who's a stadium mm-hmm. rock band these days. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I know there's a few out there, but um, it just seems like there's a lot less. And there's a lot less um, money to be made for a lot of the indie artists who are touring and, and sort of still doing that old model. Mm-hmm. So... Have you seen the rock band nominations for the Grammys? I have not. Okay. Well, and I've only asked that because, and I cannot remember all of them, but I know Imagine Dragons. Yeah. And for now that you're like talking about it, like that just popped in my head where I imagine Dragons is fine, but for them to be nominated for a Grammy for a rock band, I feel like it's a little bit ridiculous. I've seen them categorized as that. And I, and to be honest, I haven't listened to their music enough to really, um, say where I feel like they necessarily fit, what box they fit into, mm-hmm. but like what would you say that their genre is? Pop music. Okay. Like, yeah, that's yeah. that's about where I've the the bits that I've heard just cuz it's always in football games and things like that, the bits that I've heard it's yeah, I guess it seems more pop. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's presented as rock, but it's the music I think is more pop. Mhm. Well, and I agree with you on that. And, like, for me, when I think of rock, like, current rock bands, like Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, Pearl Jam, Foo Fighters. Yeah. Um, 
but and I and I think we're the same age. We're eighty babies. Yeah, early eighties. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> not that we're not going to tell our ages, but um, you know, we grew up in that era of like grunge, and then that like nineties alternative when you had like, you know, Candlebox or Seven Mary Three. I think those are rock bands. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of where I, my benchmark is mm-hmm. for rock bands now. Yeah. But it's also, I maybe feel like it's because of the time period that I grew up in and that was all the music that I ever listened to really. Sure. Know? Yeah. I mean, I think that like, yeah, the nineties, those, that grunge era was like, that was a lot of what I was brought up on. I think like, like rock at this point, their last great kind of era to me was sort of the warp tour mid two thousands. There was a real, there was something really cool happening there. I don't think it ever reached the, the status of, you know, say like the Seattle grunge movement. But I think that was to me, that was like the last great rock movement. I'd love to see something else happen. I don't mm-hmm. know if it will, but, um, yeah. yeah. So, and that make I mean, that makes me wish a little bit like there were more rock bands here locally. And I feel like maybe that's also something that's kind of lacking in the local scene specifically. Yeah. Where it's not really a genre that you see a lot here. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think like, and I've been, I've been, um, looking around at some of the, some of the local bands, just, um, working with some bands to, um, set some shows up and I think they're there. Mm-hmm. I had to dig a little harder than I was surprised at how hard I had to dig to find them. Mm. Yeah. Do you have one that stuck out to you or maybe a handful that stuck out to you where you're like, okay, yeah, like I'm really digging their sound or like for me personally, education wise, like, Hey Mikey, you need to go listen to this band. I think probably most of them you would already know. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um I, uh, I, one that I was completely unaware of until recently was a, a band Catholics. Have you heard mm-hmm. of them? No, I don't know. Um, I think everything I heard at least was, uh, purely instrumental, but it was really, really cool. Um, there was them, uh, Baby Yaga. Yeah. Um, they're doing kind of, I feel like, uh, like a nineties kind of grunge mm-hmm. sound, which is pretty cool. Um, and then there's, there's all the obvious ones. Uh, she returns from war, mm-hmm. kind of rock country. Um, who else? Um, High Divers, Susto. Yeah. I feel like they're, they're kind of the flag bearers of the rock scene around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since we're talking about Charleston, has the city itself, cause you've been in, you've been in Charleston for how many years now? I moved here in November, 2006. So 13 years now. Okay. So you've been creating music in this town for 13 years we can say yeah um would you say the city as a whole is supportive of your craft and have you found inspiration being in this city to create i think there's there's definitely inspiration anywhere you live and sometimes it might not be direct Mm -hmm. uh but it finds its way into the things you write just because that's your that's your day-to-day life and and those influences will find a way um as far as support, I think there is a support network. Uh, I would say that I think kind of getting out, there's, there's a, a group of musicians that support each other, but outside of that, I'm not sure how supportive, and, and I've had this, this conversation with um, some other musician friends of mine that I'm not sure how supportive, it seems like a lot of the bands that have broke through 
weren't really claimed until they broke through. Like something happened mm. and then the city was like, oh yeah, they're from Charleston. They're cool now, so we're going to own them. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, there's definitely like a, a smaller group of people who kind of get them off the ground floor, but as the city as a whole, I don't know how supportive they are. Uh, the city as a whole is honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, you can see it and just the, you know, we're, we're down to a few like smaller venues. Um, there's Royal, Tin Roof, uh, the Windjammer out on IOP. Yeah. Um, but there's been, there's been, you know, a few venues that have come and gone over the years downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Do you think that that maybe has caused a little bit of a rise of like house shows and like house produced concerts or creating that space because there isn't necessarily one here? Uh, I, I mean, it would be cool if so. I mean, I know I'm seeing ads for house shows. I haven't really been in that scene. Just, I think probably being a little bit older mm-hmm. and outside of kind of the college scene, uh, I haven't done too many of those. I've done a few. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that, uh, DJ Edwards, the boneyard, the place mm-hmm. he used to run and do house shows. I think they closed that down. Mm-hmm. Um, but there might be some more out there that I'm just not aware of. Yeah. So if anyone knows of any, you need to send them to Matt and I. Yeah. So we're yeah, at least yeah. So um, let's talk about the mourners manual. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said it incorrectly, but um, so this is the new album yeah. coming out in February. Yep. And the release show is going to be Saturday, February eighth at the Royal American. Yep. And let's start from the beginning. And when did you start? Like, how long has this process been for this piece of work? It started, the first kind of session in the studio was uh, at the end of 2016. Mm. And just, it's it's kind of, it blows my mind to think that it's been three years since that started. Um, but it obviously, it wasn't every day for three years. It mm-hmm. was, we recorded it down in Savannah. Um, and so it was sort of trying to, there was a lot of logistical things trying to figure out band schedules, studio schedules. So there would be times where months at a time we just weren't, um, we weren't doing anything with it. So there was a lot of more downtime than I would have liked, but it also, I think it was pretty cool because it gave us, it gave us time to breathe, the album time to breathe and kind of grow on us. And we definitely would come back and, and make changes and people just don't really make records like that. They don't, they're, you just don't have the luxury. I mean, you're on the clock in the studio. Um, we were lucky because Sean, the producer and Brendan, the engineer who also played on the record owned the studio. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we could work, I mean, we would block off a long weekend and we could work as long as we wanted. And, um, I don't know how many opportunities I'll get to make a record like that again, but it was definitely a different and an exciting way to, to make a record. So, for this release show, which song are you most excited to play live? To play live? <clears throat> um, to me, there's, I, I think there's a power in the song We that I don't even know if we've fully tapped into it yet live. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's it, there, there's something there. Um, and so every time I play it, I get excited because maybe this will be the, the, the time where the moment hits. I mean, we definitely had those moments in studio and I don't know if we've, um, if it's resonated the way that I've wanted it to resonate yet live, but I always get excited when we, when we get to that point of the set. Mm-hmm. And so from the intro earlier, 
that I was that we were discussing you. So I have down for this album, punk, emo, Americana, 80s pop nostalgia, all yeah. in this one piece of work. I'd say fair enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's a lot. That's, that's yeah. a lot of inspiration and sounds yeah. to put into a piece of work. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff we did previously was very Americana-centric, pedal steel guitar-focused. And we just, or I, me personally, like I just wanted to get away from that on this. And, and no reason why other than I just felt like I'd run run my course with that. And maybe it's still a little more Americana than I even realize. Um, but we really wanted to just sort of make a record that had all of our influences and sort of throw it in a blender. But also not where it was super erratic, like all those styles were like one song was one of those styles. Another song wasn't, was a different, but they were all sort of their elements of that. Like an afterglow to me, it's sort of kind of a punky song, but with the sense there's elements of the eighties stuff. Mm -hmm. So just trying to more so blend it into something that's cohesive rather than just, um, each song represents a genre. Yeah. So you're kind of really creating a whole new sound. I mean, that's, I think that's anybody's goal when you're going into making a record is just blending all of your influences and hopefully it'll make something unique or maybe you'll tap into something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what we were trying to do. I don't know how close we came or if we hit the mark, but that was our goal. So on this album, is there, so we have the song that you're most excited to play live. Is there one song that has given you the most trouble that you've had to kind of go back again and again and just, you just can't, <laughs> uh, you know, you, it's a little bit of a struggle. Is there one song that just kind of was a pain in your ass? Yes, there is. Um, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily a pain recording it because Sean actually recorded the main guitar part. Mm -hmm. um, and if you know Sean Kelly, he's from A Fragile Tomorrow. Yeah. He likes really weird chord progressions and chords <laughs> and changes. And so um, learning to how I'm going to pull that one off live has been has been a real pain. Um, so, yeah, I would say that. And then 93 is one that I think is I feel like is more of an album song. I'm not sure how often we'll play it live. Um, but that one, I don't know, it's just kind of personal. And so I, I don't know how much I want to revisit that in a live setting, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. That's okay. It's yeah. your show. You can do whatever you want. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Within reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is there anything else you want to talk about for this album before we shift gears? Because I'm going to ask you two really fun questions. Okay. Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, just hopefully uh, hopefully these, these songs will resonate with some people. I think we, we set out to... I, and I, I mentioned it in the liner notes, like my, my kind of visual goal of this record was making like an audio version of, have you seen Ghostbusters too? Yeah. So, um, there's like, you know, the river of slime that's kind of like under the city mm -hmm. and it was kind of like an album that's hopeful, but there's still that sort of like element of the sadness that's kind of running underneath it. So mm -hmm. that was like visually like what I was thinking when I was making that record was just trying to create an, an audio version of that. 
Yeah. Oh my God. I love this visual. Do you, do you see whenever you play music or you, I don't know the name for it, but like you see colors and I know it has like a specific name. Yeah. I'm not sure what the name is. I mean, I think some songs, like I think there are things, um, that thematically like designing the, the album artwork, like I, I feel like that sort of leathery red, for whatever reason was the color that I thought of mm-hmm. for this record um, with, with kind of gold. I think a lot of that came from sort of like the church, I don't know, the old church um, hymnals and yeah. stuff. I think that's where that came from. Um, but I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I think there are times for sure when songs will evoke a color or a specific image or memory or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's really, really strong. So I'm going to shift gears. All right. And you yourself used to have your own podcast. I did, yeah. <laughs> War and Drink. Yep. And so you interviewed several local Charleston artists like Benjamin Starr and Marcus Amaker and Michael Flynn. Yeah. Um, are you are you going to bring back the podcast? <laughs> um, if I can get some downtime. I mean, I think that's the, it ended about the time that we were starting recording sessions for this record. Mm-hmm. So that's why. And, um, I was also DJing a show on, uh, on radio yeah. and I had to, I had to cut all that just because I was spreading myself too thin. Mm. Um, needed to, needed to write for the record, needed to find time to get down to Savannah and, um, also needed some time to, to be a husband and, uh, and all the other things and do a, a regular gig. And yeah, so, yeah, job, <laughs> and all the other so things. maybe one day I'm, I'm not going to say never, but, um, if I can find some time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when you, so from doing the podcast, did you, was there ever any sort of like universal takeaway just collectively from doing that, that you just really enjoyed or just something like a, like a takeaway. I keep repeating myself, but, um, yeah, I think there were a few things, you know, selfishly, I think I probably got more out of that <laughs> than, than the guests did. I really, really loved talking to, um, to, uh, to, to people. I think there's, there's one thing that's, that stuck out with me and it was when I was talking to Marcus, which I think might've been actually the first episode was first or second episode. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was Marcus and I were, were were talking about racism and kind of racism in Charleston, and I had sort of ignorantly made the comment, "Well, yeah, but that doesn't really, you know, we're it's not as much in Charleston." And Marcus made Ooh. the comment. I mean, I I get I kind of lived in my bubble, you know, yeah. at the time. Um, and Marcus made the comment, "Well, yeah, we we do like to think we're special." Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um that comment oh. as the years have gone by and as things have happened as i've sort of become more in tune to things small things you know things that i wasn't even aware of before um that makes me realize how naive i was to things that were happening around me all the time um so i think that is probably when i think back about all those episodes and, and the conversation I had with Benjamin Starr too was awesome. I love that conversation. Yeah. That was one of my favorites, but I think that specific moment and just the, um, basically putting my complete, uh, naive, naive, naivete, yes. <laughs> I guess is the right word on display. Um, mm-hmm. 
it's embarrassing, but it's also a point to point of like when you mark your height against a wall and you see how you've grown, mm-hmm. you know, if that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense. Again, you have these really great visuals and I'm such a visual person. I'm like, oh, that makes complete sense. <laughs> no, I think it's great though, because I mean, when you do stuff like this, like it's, you know, on the fly and you are going to make comments and sometimes you kind of have to take a step back and hear it or have someone mm-hmm. put the mirror in front of you and say, Hey, like you may need to think about what you're saying or you, maybe you didn't think all the way through mm-hmm. with saying that. But I mean, it's, it, I mean, you're human and you know, as long as we're learning from learning from the experience, that's all you can do. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was just, again, I think, like I had this image that Charleston was this little progressive bubble inside of a total uh, red state and that that type of thing doesn't happen here. Um, And again, it just, it just goes to show like how completely off I was and bless Marcus for handling it the way he did. And and, I mean, he could have, I mean, he could have totally come back and be like, yeah, well, you know what? Think about this, 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 and this. And, um, but he didn't. And, and, um, yeah, I just, that moment, I just, I always go back to that moment. Yeah. I mean, he, but he's a sweet angel. He is. Yeah, he is. He is. Have you seen his baby? Yes. Cute. Ugh. Yeah. I'm going to steal it. (laughs) And that's like now on the recorded on the podcast. So I need to apologize to to Marcus and Jordan. I'm not going to steal your child. I promise. (laughs) But I'm available for babysitting. (laughs) Um, so last question. I always end with this question, your entrance song for life. And do you know what an entrance song is? Like a, like a wrestler coming through the curtain, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. This is like when you're leaving your house, you're going into work, you're entering a bar, like mm. you're, and you, and I mean, honestly, I've asked other people and they were, and they've told me like, I have two personalities and this is the song for this yeah. personality. And yeah. so, um, Mm. one jumps out like immediately and that's like the more serious uh serious song but i would say uh victory by puff daddy and the family like for some reason that song just gets me super pumped yeah um and also maybe bombs over baghdad by outcast oh my god that was that makes me want to run through a wall (laughs) <laughs> that was my song when I, my high school uh, year of basketball. Yeah. That was our song. The team ran out to that song. Yeah. And I mean, that's, yeah. that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it really helped me slam dunk in all those games. Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. Um, okay. So how can people find you and support you? Give us all the, the links. Okay. Um, so right now the album's up for pre-order and it'll be on sale after the release too. But right now you can pre-order it uh, at my site, which is mattmcgrew.com. Uh, I'll spell that because I've got a weird last name, but it's M-A-T-T-M-E-G-R-U-E.com. And then on Instagram, uh, it's just Matt McGrew. Facebook, Matt McGrew Music. And Twitter, Matt McGrew. I would say I'm probably most active on Instagram mm-hmm. and then probably Facebook and and then Twitter. That's in in order of activity. Those it's probably Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. In order of importance. <laughs> yeah, or just I don't know. I don't even know what I use Twitter for anymore. Um, just kind of random personal thoughts, I guess. I mean, it was a big deal. I feel like 
I'm going to date myself, like 10 years ago. Yeah. Like we were, I feel like we collectively, we were super active and now I'm, I, I maybe go on once a week to like, like my best friend's tweets and that's about it. (laughs) Yeah. I think I kind of just follow news and stuff through Mm -hmm. there now. I don't actually tweet too much anymore. Um, I think there's a place for people with, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of followers, but I don't know. Yeah. Instagram's, Instagram's my jam right now. So, last but not least, the most important thing, everyone, the Mourner's Manual is out Friday, February 7th. You can order it online ahead of time. Yep. And you all need to be at the Royal American on Saturday, February 8th to hear it live. Because we're excited to hear all the songs live. Even that one asshole one that you're going to have to figure out how to play the guitar for. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I ever said the title of that one, but it was Mirror Mirror. Um, was the name of that song and i'm not sure if we're actually going to put that one on that show yet i'm not sure um i need i need to to do some rehearsing and we might actually be doing a listening party a couple weeks prior to that downtown so uh it might be a co-brand thing we're we're still working on the details okay so well definitely send it to me we'll share it all right and everybody needs to be (laughs) there on february 8th at the royal american Matt, any other final thoughts? No, that's it. I that's think it. I think you, I think you dug it all out we of me. You're freaking done. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks. Thank you.